Hello, and welcome to the Cave to the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, we're continuing on Chapter 1 of Keeping Faith in the Age of Reason by Jason Lyle. And uh, here we're going through the, the supposed contradictions of the numbers of the Bible. Right. And uh, this is uh, um, continuing on from the last episode, so if you haven't checked that one out, uh, feel free to watch this one first because uh, we're not going in any particular order. The ideas aren't folding one from the other. So right. you can start anywhere in this book. It's All right, good. so we'll jump in here yeah. and get started. Yeah. All right, here's the next one, um, number 28 here. How many were in Jacob's family when he came... Uh, into Egypt, oh, yeah. Genesis uh, forty six twenty seven and Exodus one five say seventy, but uh, Acts seven fourteen says seventy five. So which is it, seventy or seventy five? Right? right, that's kind of the issue here. How many were in Jacob's family when? He, so the idea. So what happened here is Jacob, you know, um, and his son and his family after. Uh, um, uh, Joseph made a way for them to have to be able to move into uh, Egypt, mm-hmm. right? Goshen. Uh, Goshen, mm-hmm. yeah, and part of Egypt called Goshen. So the question is, how many were there? Because we know in, in uh, the rest of the, the scriptures, especially beginning in the book of Exodus, that they grow into a huge multitude, a nation for all practical purposes, that then are, you know, they... Um, go forth with the exodus and that sort of thing. So how many did they start with? Did they start with 70? Or was it 75? You know, what's what's going on here? So you have those those passages pulled up. Right. Uh, Genesis 46, 27. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Then Exodus 1, 5. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then in Acts, we have... And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. Ooh, so 70 and 75, yep. right? So what's going on here? Well, he calls this the subset fallacy. And again, he says there's a failure to read the text carefully. Mm-hmm. Another right? one. Yeah. So he says in Acts uh, 7.14, Stephen says that Joseph invited Jacob and all his relatives to come to Egypt for a total of 75 people. Yeah, Genesis 46, as you mentioned there, 26 gives the number as uh, 66. So Genesis 46, 26 says 66 persons. But a mere careful reading, he tells us, of Genesis 46, 26 says, All the persons belonging to Jacob, not including the wives of Jacob's sons, were 66 persons in all. Right, so you you subtract the the sons or the wives rather, or you add the wives. Right, mm-hmm. so the reason the list in Acts he says is slightly larger than the list in Genesis is because the former includes <laughs> the wives. Yeah. Right, because the passage before that says not including Jacob's sons' wives yeah. were sixty six persons yeah. and all. Yeah, yeah. so th- there's there's one where they're saying co- a complete number in right. all. Right. Right. But it's also saying we've we're subtracting a few people yeah. within that. So 66 plus 11 is right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, let me fa- see. <laughs> fa- failure to I think he has one in here. Failure to do basic arithmetic. And, uh, I don't know if that's a fallacy, yeah. but uh, well, what he well, so it does make that a little bit more. But he says, but Jacob's wife had died in Canaan before the the journey to Egypt. And so Genesis 46.10 suggests that Simon, and by the way, Simon's wife had 
also died right. before the yeah. journey. So we sub- we have to subtract those out mm-hmm. there, right? So that there were nine living wives who came to Egypt with the 66 descendants of Jacob. And that's how we get to our 77. So it's not 78 when you add the wives because there were a couple wives that were dead. Right. I'm sorry, 77 when you add the wives right. because a couple of wives were dead. So that, uh, boy, all these numbers. Right. So, that there are, you know, so that's how we get to our 77. And so that's what Acts says, that there were 77. Mm-hmm. And and again, here's the thing where if, okay, you would have to say that the the uh, Luke writing in Acts has to be lazy. He doesn't have access to go and look at the scrolls for Genesis and Exodus and say, well, you know, here, here's here's a, a much larger number that that we don't that we don't see here because. Uh, it it says seventy. Why is he adding more? Yeah. Wouldn't you want to subtract less because, <laughs> or, or just copy seventy? Yeah. But yeah. clearly, uh, here's here's a Greek uh, doctor who's a convert who is reading the scripture carefully, and and understanding uh, the the total number. Yeah. Well, so now to be fair to Luke, though he is uh, quoting Stephen, right? I mean that's kind of what's going on here when we. So yeah. So Stephen's the the better yeah. the, the better person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it seems like if 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 you want to fudge the numbers and say it, Luke could go back and go, ooh, Stephen was was not speaking in the spirit here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna help I'm Stephen gonna out. Fix it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. So that's how we get to our uh, seventy-five. So there's seventy, but there's also seventy-five, right? So that's so. Uh, why do Genesis 46, 27 and Exodus 1, uh, 5 list 70? The list from Genesis 46, 27 is based on the 66 persons mentioned in the previous verse, which is which excludes the nine wives, but then includes Jacob and his three descendants who were already in Egypt, right? That is, it includes the 70 in Genesis uh, 46, 27, includes, so it takes out the wives, but it includes uh, Jacob and then Joseph and his two sons. Mm-hmm. So those were part of the descendants as well. So that's where that 70 there comes from. Right. right? <clears throat> Large families, you've got to keep track. Just that's like right. birthdays. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, Good thing they didn't have birth yeah. cards back then or calendars. That's they just right. kind of knew. You run out of fingers and you have to use more toes <laughs> and then other people's fingers and yeah, toes. Yeah, that's why you have more kids. Right. So that's right. That's right. So you need lots of kids for fingers and toes. <laughs> Uh, number 32, uh, what is the human lifespan? Psalms 90.10 says 70 to 80 years, but Genesis 6.3 says 120 years. Yeah. Wow. So this is so this I mean, is this an is interesting one, right? A, because, a you know, one. I'm getting close to some of these years here, not the 120, but a couple of the other ones there. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm moving up on here well, a little yeah. bit. But yeah. so, you know, I want to tell me, you know, are what's you, going on here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'll go with the 120. I, yeah. That's that's the one that I want. Oh, okay. <laughs> Further away from heaven. Yeah. <laughs> he says this is the failure to read the text carefully. Right? That's that's what he says is going on here, right? Yeah. So in Psalm 90.10, it says what? You have that one pulled up uh, there. The years of our life are 70, and by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Yeah. So 70, and then if you're really tough, right? Uh, 80 yeah but then after that you know it's it's uh it's uh out of here and it's right? not it's not saying you know once you reach the your 80th birthday then it's logan's yeah. run and, and you yeah. get cut off yeah right, right at the end. <laughs> yeah so this is a general principle as with 
uh, many of the passages, both in Proverbs right. and, and Acts. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm sorry, Proverbs and Psalms. They mm-hmm. give us these various general principles. Yeah. Uh, Genesis 6, 3 says, Then the Lord said, uh, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he... For he is flesh, for his days shall be 120 years. Yeah. So. so so, that means that people were going to live 120 instead of the 70 or the 80. No, no, not so fast, he says, right? You need to read it carefully. So what he says is, rather than 120 years listed here, uh, there marks the time that the wicked humanity had left before God would destroy mankind with the flood. This is Genesis 6. Right. This is Genesis 6. So it's before the flood. And God is saying, okay, there's only 120 years left, and then that's it. I'm going to cut off Mm -hmm. mankind. And, of course, Noah and his family will will live. So the context clearly mentions or at least indicates that he's not talking about the length of life of each individual person. Mm -hmm. He's talking about when the flood will come. Right. Well, and and think about also, too, when this is written, how how long did the patriarchs live? Hundreds and hundreds of years. So it it just being shortened to 120 years is is kind of not not true within its own context. Right, right. So that's the issue here. So we have 70, 80. You know, that's in general. That's the idea. Mm -hmm. There's there's people that live a little longer than that now and people that, you know, so are we guaranteed 70 years or 80? Yeah. Yeah. No, there are people that die before they get there. Right. So it's a general principle Mm -hmm. is the idea here. You know, the idea that the 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 uh, the psalmist is trying to communicate is that life in uh, generally speaking is short and difficult mm-hmm. right that's what they're trying to get at right. here right so you might live 70 maybe 80 but it's still difficult and then you're gone right um and so the one but the 120 here is talking not about the length of each individual person or even in general principle the life that we we live the length of the life but it's talking about something totally different right right so you know yeah this is clearly Somebody didn't read very carefully here. Right. Right. That's the issue here. My goodness. (laughs) All right, number 36. How old was Abraham when he left Haram? Right? Uh, So here now we want to talk to Abraham. Abraham, you know, is the father of uh, the Jewish nation. Actually, three the three major monotheistic religions claim Abraham, right? Christianity, Judaism, and uh, Islam, right? Um, so the question here comes from Genesis twelve four, and it seems to contradict Acts seven two and four, and Genesis eleven uh, twenty six and thirty two. Yeah. How old was Abraham when he left Haram? I remember doing a Bible year reading plan, and uh, my wife was reading this passage, and I got so hung up on it and tried to find it that I completely zoned out of the rest of the reading. <laughs> and she's like, do we have to start over? I was like, yeah, we got to start over. I was trying to figure this out. And I, I think I came up with a good answer at the time, but uh, uh, Jason Lyle definitely has a... Uh, uh, a better succinct answer yeah. than I probably came up with. Right. So he, he names this in the failure to read, again, the failure to read the text carefully, right. and he says this one is the semantic anachronism fallacy. Right. right. So so bringing in uh, from from not its context what uh, what something means. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, Genesis 12.4 says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Uh, Acts 7, 2, and 4, 
Stephen's talking here. Brothers and fathers, hear me. Um, uh, Abraham, he left Mesopotamia uh, before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out to the land from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, uh, that's um, Abram, Abraham's, uh, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. 11.26 says when Terah... That's which, Genesis 11.26. Yep, uh, which is uh, Abram's father, lived 70 years. He fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And then 32 says the days of Terah... Genesis 11.32. Right. Uh, were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Right. So what's the issue here? Well, he says this is, fair, again, for you to read the text carefully in this particular fallacy. The idea here is that... Um, um, Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran, Genesis 12, 4, and no text says otherwise. Mm -hmm. No text says otherwise. The other passages listed by the critic do not speak of Abraham's age at the time that he left Haran, nor do they give sufficient information to arrive conclusively at such a number. In fact, I'm not even sure where they even, what are they talking about here with regard to this one being a contradiction, right? The confusion, he says, may stem from the critics' misreading of Acts 7-4. Some English translations seem to imply that Abraham left Haran when he was when his father, Terah, died at 205, right, age 205. But Genesis 11-26 suggests that Terah was 70 when Abraham was born. So wouldn't this mean that Abraham was actually 135? Yeah. When you, when you take Terah's numbers from Genesis, the 70 years and then 205, um, it, it seems like uh, so at 70 years, it says he fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Um, th there's, I think there's uh, an idea to say, oh, since uh, Abraham was listed first, he was the firstborn. Well, he might not have been the firstborn there. He might have, um, he, might, he might just be listed as importance. Um, and then it talks about when Abram was 75 years old, he departed for Haran. So trying to, to sync up those three numbers seems to have a, a, misreading of exactly how old uh, everyone was when yeah. when Abraham left. Yeah, yeah I think that settles it. Yeah. And, and, and reading Acts 7 uh, seems to, to help um, if, you, uh, if you read it carefully. Yeah. Good. All right. Uh, number 42. Was Jesus a ransom for many or for all? Matthew and uh, Matthew 20, 28. And Mark ten forty five says many, but First Timothy two six says all. Yeah, boy, now this is a sticky wicket. Right? Oh, I mean, we're we're gonna figure this one out. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> yeah, this one is uh, is a um, uh, this particular issue in general, not just in terms of the unbeliever or the person who's claiming a contradiction, but even in terms of evangelical Christianity, this one is uh, you know is controversial with regard to what's going on here, right? Who did Jesus die for? Who was he ransomed for? Was he ransomed for many mm -hmm. or was he ransomed for everyone, right? This one is, you know, um, you know, there was, uh, there's, there's been controversy even in the evangelical Christianity over sure. what this one is This is a, a big difference between Reformed and Armenian uh, um, theology, uh, limited atonement, universal atonement. Um, there's a few uh, in, in, in between um, I forget the the super awesome <laughs> theological name for it, but uh, uh, there are kind of people that view it as a all from a 
up or downward up look, but then specific for a downward uh, t- top downward viewpoint. Yeah, yeah. So this is the way that <laughs> Lyle, and we'll just give you Lyle's take on it here, and you can you know you can beat him up. I mean the, the the atonement. <laughs> I mean the, there are the, there are a lot of good books out there. Um, I think um, the Crossway series, the the Counterpoint series, mm, um, mm. Ha- has one on on it. That's uh, that's a bit, I mean the Counterpoint series is always good. So yeah, um, that that that's a good one to look at. He calls this one the bifurcation fallacy and equivocation fallacy, right? So he says that Christ was ransomed, notice, for all who received him, which are many, right? That's that's kind of what he's getting at here. So the universal term all, um, terms like all, are sometimes restrained by context, as in the case of, for instance, 1 Timothy Three or two six. It says all people are required to present a birth certificate. Well, First Timothy two six right. says what we want uh, who who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Right, and so he says, you know, an example of this is all people are required to present a birth certificate in order to obtain a passport. So what does that mean? Everybody in the world has to get, and if they want a passport, they need to present a birth certificate. So we have all 70 plus billion people lining up in the United States in order, no, 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 that's not what we mean when we say all, mm-hmm. right? Right? And what we're talking about is whom? Well, we're talking about people, all the people who are getting passports in the United States, mm-hmm. right? So so that we use that word like that all the time <laughs> every single time <laughs> yeah. we've used it yeah yeah. Uh, yeah so so here uh is is the the uh, the scope of the atonement uh it's the desire of Christ and and, and God to um save uh who they who they've chosen so there's there's a lot of points in here that is important and I think uh is also overlooked in um, everyday Christians view and it's trying to understand who did Jesus die for yeah so and and so the way he ends this one is he says Christ's payment on the cross is certainly sufficient for anyone to be saved right he is the eternal infinite God <clears throat> and when he paid the penalty for our sins mm-hmm. it was sufficient for anyone who uh, trusted him as a savior and accepted that uh, right. you know that payment? So he is eternal God, but people are actually saved only if they do that, if they receive God's grace through faith in Christ. Right. Right? So, so no matter how bad you are, no matter how many things you've done, no matter who you are, uh, no matter what type of family you were born into, no matter what has happened to you, um, you know, pick whatever qualification of of you you want. Uh, you, Christ's death and covering his his salvation um, his salvific ability is uh, able to be bestowed upon anybody. Yeah, yeah. So this makes God both merciful, right, as well as just, mm-hmm. right. He's just because the pay, the wages of sin is death, and sin must be paid for. Paid for. That's what justice demands—a payment for sin against a holy and a righteous God. Right. But He's merciful in that <clears throat> He made the payment Himself mm-hmm. for our sins, and that He makes one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so He can be both merciful, forgiving, uh, and loving, 
and just, holy, righteous, and following the dictates of the, the character of who he is, right? He can be both of these because he fulfilled the, the payments by dying on the cross for our sins, and mercifully he will apply that to our account as we trust him, right? And so as Lyle says, uh, Christ's payment on the cross is certainly sufficient for anyone to, to be saved, but people are actually saved only if they receive God's grace through faith in Christ. Right. I think this is why, too, it's important when we when we talked about um, uh, worldview and and when we kind of touch briefly on um, where does where does Christ uh, where does God um, uh, kind of pull what is good and just out of is it you know from the ether or is it from just you know because it's Taco Tuesday um, here it the the the, the, the the descriptions that you gave about just and perfect and holiness and um, uh, 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 the the payment needing to be paid and sin needing to be uh, um, judged, all those things have to reside in the character of God, and it's out of Him that we have meaning in those words. So mm-hmm. by 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 having this, this isn't um, this isn't a plan that is brought together piecemeal. That God kind of you know. Oh, good thing I got a hold of the end of that rope, and you know we have the cross there. This is something that um, is is perfectly planned, and that he, uh, um, for, from before time began, um, chose to to work out all these characteristics in the cross in Christ's death. And um, that's the great thing about salvation is once you get into it and study it, this is this is the character of God that we see. And from there, we also make application about what does that mean for our lives and how we interact with people and how we worship God and how we're supposed to run our lives or our household or our families. Yeah. Yeah. And this is important because most of the people you talk with today would, would, uh, they, uh, they, uh, err on the side of God's love and mercy (laughs) and that sort of thing. They don't think they're that bad. And Mm -hmm. they think, you know, as long as, you know, my good outweighs my bad, then I guess I'm okay. Right. Uh, the problem is, is sin is bad and there is a penalty, right? And the penalty is death. So no matter how good or bad someone thinks they are, they are sinners and it deserves death, right? So we can't just say, well, God will love me and he'll outweigh. What does he do with the sin? What does he do with my, the thoughts that are evil, right? My blaspheming of God, you know, the, the actions that I take that are evil. Does he just dismiss those? Then he's not just, he's not holy. He's not perfect. He's not righteous. He is not a judge of all the world, mm-hmm. right? As the scriptures call him, right? So he has to deal with those, no matter how minor they may see, you know, they may seem to us. He, God has to deal with those right. because he's a holy, just, and righteous judge. Mm-hmm. And so he has dealt with that on the cross. He's dealt with all of that. And so that allows him then to express his mercy and love and goodness. The issue, though, is we have to accept his payment, right? We have to uh, make it our own we have to trust that indeed when Jesus Christ died and said it is finished, that he accomplished the work, which is to pay for sin. And so, um, and that's why we read our Bible. That's why we trust it. That's why um, the, the if, if God has spoken, uh, we have to believe it. It's perfect. It's, um, um, you know, uh, infallible uh, that uh, what's said here is, is if it if it does err, 
uh, which which our book is trying to um, speak against, um, if it does err, then um, it, it it breaks apart a worldview. It breaks apart um, every single part of the character of God because God doesn't just he's not just just he's not just love and those two uh, don't aren't the only things that everything has to work in perfect sync with yeah, each other. Yeah. He's consistent. His he's, character he's consistent, is consistent, right. right? He has perfect integrity, right? Mm-hmm. The consistency of his character. And so all of that is true of God. And for all of that to be true of God, he has worked so great a salvation, right? Yeah. You know, I really think this is probably a good place to end our discussion yeah. with regard to these. There are a couple more in here that we were considering, but I think, you know, this, uh, this is an important point and I think it's a, it's a good place to end our discussion. Yeah. So that's that's our uh, that's our salvation call. Uh, if you haven't trusted in Christ, we we at least see in, in this portion that there's nothing numbers wise that should uh, should restrict you from that belief, and that um, uh, it's only through it's only through Christ that uh, we're able to receive that salvation because his his salvific work on the cross, uh, living a perfect life. Uh, being the man God and then um, giving his life as a as a ransom for many, uh, he's able to save us to the uttermost by that one sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, amen. So yeah. next time we'll look at that he wants, uh, Jason Lyle wants us to consider timing of events, and he's going to look at the various so-called contradictions with regard to timing of the events. Yeah, there'll be some definitely good ones in there. Yeah. 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 So th- thanks for joining us for the uh, uh, the the show today and uh, we hope that uh, you um, check out our other videos and um, check us out through other various means uh, Facebook and all that stuff so all the links for the book and everything that we talked about will be in the uh, the show notes below so thank you yeah thank you